She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. trying dry heaving not even being able to vomit it was awful absolutely awful um so so i feel like i've gotten pretty close to that that oh scenario oh my god Alistair, that's it was bad. classy it was bad i feel like you were yeah. a classy dude back in the days i had my moments <laughs> i'm sorry mom that you had to hear that <laughs> And you had said, hey, well, maybe just empty out the fig bag and pee in there. Because otherwise, all I had was my thermos. And it's and not big it's enough. It's not big enough, but also it's like, you don't want to pee in your thermos. No. Like, you're, <laughs> you're just never going to enjoy your thermos again. It's ruined after that. I don't, no, ma- no, no amount of cleaning is going to ever solve that psychological problem. And that's why... You get back from going to China, you know. Exact example I was gonna use. It's like, how do you explain how do you to someone explain how that? was China? You're like, like, well, the well, food was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, yo. What's, uh, what's going on, Alistair? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are we talking about today? Oh, well, we are talking about integrating profound experiences. Maybe spiritual experiences or deep insights. We're talking about the hero's return mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, the motif of the hero, he goes out into the unknown or she goes out into the unknown. And, and at some point has to come back from that special world, back to the mundane, the ordinary. And that, as Joseph Campbell often says, is the most challenging task of the hero. And we ourselves are in a period like that, and so we kind of explore all the feelings that go along with it, because there can be a lot of disconnect or loneliness or difficulties, and uh, we kind of go all the places. And I think it's an important experience that we all have at different points in our life. And how we deal with them post the experience is a huge part of our of our journey, of our personal growth. And contribution to society and to the group. You said it, woman. Uh, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hello, all you Far Out people, and welcome to the Far Out Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Yay. Woo. <laughs> It's 4 p.m. We're recording late today. We decided to be crazy and just give that a shot. Yeah, we tend to be morning people. Yeah. But here we are here in the afternoon. I'm, I'm excited. We got yeah. tea. We got everything. Let's kick this off by which, which would you choose? Yes. Which would you choose? So uh, these are some cards that we got a while back. Yeah. Uh, and it prevents, provides a scenario. <laughs> And you I have think, to choose one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if the question, if you didn't understand it from the question, that's what you have to do. So here is the the choice, listener. Drive through the desert with no air conditioning and all the windows rolled up, oh. or drive a convertible top down through a heavy snowstorm. Oh, jeez. Well, huh. I, I I have to say, for me, 
given our current situation, which we'll get into in a minute, I'm going to go with the drive through the desert with no air conditioning and all the windows rolled up. Pretty rough, but convertible with the snow with the snowstorm. That's like a that's a that's a deadly situation. That was, yeah, I was going to. Plus, it's dangerous. You know, you get cold and then you can't feel your hands and you can't drive. You know, like it yeah. just. It, it, I'll agree with you. Although both of these are terrible choices. Yeah, I don't like well, them. One's more likely to kill you, I think. I, I agree. <laughs> Although I can see being very nauseous in a car that has no air conditioning and going through the desert. But yeah, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll go with that. That that reminds me of a uh, of a road trip after a bender in Vegas with my buds back in the day. And we were so hungover. Like, hungover, like, where, where you're having, like, withdrawal symptoms and you're, like, shaky. It was bad. We had a problem. And, uh, and yet, when we, were dr- we drove there in my friend's really shitty car, really crappy car, and we had to drive back through the desert because we were driving back to San Diego. So from Vegas to San Diego, it's a pretty miserable drive. Uh. And we were we were, like... We were so hungover. I'm not sure it was a great idea to be driving at all. Sorry, mom. <laughs> we, we weren't we weren't drunk or anything. It was pure hangover, and we had just eaten at a really really disgusting burger joint. Oh my god! It's it's this awful place. I don't know if it still exists, but it's like he pretends he's a doctor, and 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 uh, there's nurses that like are the the waitresses, and they sell things like they sell uh, cartons of cigarettes. And, like, pure stick-of-butter shakes. Ugh. And, like, the burgers are called, like, triple bypass burgers. Ugh. Our friend wanted to eat there. It was, like, a big deal for him to go eat at this place that he'd heard of. So we all, like, kind of reluctantly went. And a couple of us actually had to go next door and get something else. Ugh. And I wish I was one of those people. <laughs> because we are in the desert on the way back and we hit traffic. Ugh. And we all had to work the next day. And we hit traffic, and we were stuck in the desert, and it was hot as hell. And I got out of the car several times to try to vomit <laughs> in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and my friend, like, would, he's made fun of me several times because he just saw me in the desert, like, behind a little <laughs> bush, trying dry heaving, not even being able to vomit. It was awful, absolutely awful. <sighs> Um, so, so I feel like I've gotten pretty close to that, that oh scenario. Oh my God, Alistair, that's it was bad. classy. It was bad. I feel like you were yeah. a classy dude back in the days. I had my moments. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, mom, that you had to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's worse, honestly, the dry heaving or the triple bypass burger. Oh, yeah. They're all, it's all bad. They go together. It's all, it's all terrible. It's all terrible. Sorry, listener, that you had to listen to this yeah, terrible yeah. story. The moral of the story is... Get an Airbnb, stay overnight, don't drive when you're hungover. No, the real moral of the story is just don't go to Vegas. Don't do it. It's a terrible, soulless place, and there's no reason to be there. I've never been. I want to see it at least once. Ugh. I wouldn't go for a festival or anything. Yeah, you know? well, so. <laughs> we got an update from the Dumases on the road. Yeah, the Dumases on the road, that's the us. The Dumases on the road. Uh, what's been, uh, what's been going on, Alistair? Uh, well, we're in San Antonio in the middle of a pretty epic snowstorm. <laughs> um, actually, I don't think Texas You've is, heard it on the news. Yeah, You've it's made it national news, news, I think, oh, at this God, point. Yeah. Texas is, is, uh, well, Texas doesn't know how to deal with snow because it doesn't happen. Like, we're, li- we're staying with people who have never seen this happen here. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the record is, but I think it could be very well be like a hundred years or something yeah. since something like this has happened, but... It's been really cold. We got like four inches of snow, and 
<laughs> what we've learned is it's not fun to live in this in this camper in snow. You can do it for sure. It's a four season camper. So that's nice. Yes. But you don't want to do it no. if you can avoid it. You go through propane really quick, that's for sure. And is this a good place to This is this is I mean, I'm gonna also say I was kinda shocked because I mean, yeah, Texas is not ready for this, meaning they have no, like, snow machine, like, you know, those cars, those, like, trucks that go and push the snow on the side of the road, none of that, uh, no salt, so the roads were really icy, and the worst day was Monday, and we had no groceries left, and so we had to go grocery shopping, everything was closed, except the Walmart Supercenter next to the house, It was a journey to get there. And then when we got there, there was a line all around. I mean, it was insane. Like, apocalypse. Like, that's what it felt like. And, and you know, like, icy pavement and uh, Walmart carts and overweight people don't mix well together. Yeah, there's, there's an ambulance. There's, there. there was an ambulance. <laughs> we didn't see what was happening, but it, you could one, guess. one can guess yeah. what happened. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. We had just come back from retreat, so we had no food, yeah. and we also had very little propane. And propane, we've learned, is critical in this life critical. because it's what keeps your camper warm and your pipes and from freezing. All, and Cooking. Yeah. Otherwise, we can't. Our yeah. stove is propane. Yeah. We woke up again. This has happened before, but not when we kept the heater on. That, that's the thing is it was so cold. I think it hit 12 degrees. Might have been the low. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. If, and I know there's some parts of the country that you might be listening from, and you're like, well, 12 degrees sounds like summer. <laughs> well, I don't know why you live in a place where you can say that. That's the first thing I'll say. So what the hell, man? Or woman. Um, but here, that's really cold. And we we were sleeping in the camper. Even with the heat on, we leave it basically. It's so cold. You're just enveloped in yeah. cold that it's coming in all the time. Yeah. And the heater's doing its best just to keep the place from being frozen. Yeah. Uh, so, like, even though the thermostat says 55, which is the lowest we can keep it at, and we had to because we didn't have a lot of propane, and you're just burning propane if you try to keep it any warmer yeah. when it's that cold outside. Like on the edges, it's nowhere close to fifty-five degrees of the camp. Uh, I've been wearing two pair of pa- two pairs of pants for yeah. a couple of days. Two pairs now. of pants, two sweaters. I'm wearing the same clothes for the last three days. Yeah, because there's a lot of power outage and stuff, and and also water problems. So we're fine, but the house we're staying at and that has all the laundry equipment cannot do laundry. There's no, no way. It's been intermittent power and intermittent water for like the last thirty-six hours, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny because. Actually, then our place becomes the spot because know, we have we have solar power. We've got batteries. We've got propane. Yeah, we made breakfast for everyone this yeah, morning because there up was some water. no. Yeah, yeah. We we are the source of coffee for the group of people here. <laughs> but but there right. there was um, I, I did have to go out into the world because we ran out of propane, which is critical. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and and this is where you kind of realize how dependent we are. As, as a country on supply chains, because it's not just like the harsh weather, it's the supply chains. Yeah. It's like, it's not that everyone's just going to the stores, just the stores are also not getting anything. Yeah, yeah. Walmart was pretty desolate. There was like shelves and shelves of just empty, empty shelves and everywhere. The, the same thing happened with propane because yeah. we called everywhere around. And everywhere. first we, we waited the first day because literally you wouldn't want to drive if, if you could, didn't have to because... The freeways are snowed in, mm-hmm. and there's no snow plows yeah. or salt or anything. So we tried to put it off as long as we could, but we needed to get propane. So we started calling around. Nowhere in the freaking city has propane. 
everyone's out of propane. Yeah. The reusable bottles or the tanks to fill to fill your own. So I we finally found a place. We had to drive to the edge of the city, which is like in in correction, Alistair. Okay, I drove to the edge of the city by myself, and which is like normally probably like 20, 25 minutes away. But in that kind of snow, like freeways are closed. It, it turns out to be closer to an hour away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm driving on parts of the freeway are closed. I get on other parts where, like, there's one lane and the rest is just snow on both sides. And I'm driving there. And as I'm driving there, off the freeway in a parking lot, I drive by a ball of flame. <laughs> a car is just engulfed in flames and, and people are standing around looking at it. And it's just black smoke going into the air. And then I see a truck, a fire truck coming down the other side of the freeway. And the the freeway is pretty much empty. No one's no one who can avoid it is driving. It's like apocalyptic. If yeah. if, if there ever was an apocalyptic <laughs> scene, it was it was crazy. And I'm driving my big ass truck and like gotta go get some fuel, going to the the ends of the earth to to get the last fuel, hoping they don't run out. Uh, and I get there and I'm like, okay, well, the worst is behind me. I, I did the drive there and I just gotta get back. And there's a line of cars that's like half a mile long out of the propane center. And I end up waiting for over three hours. I think you waited for four, man. It might have been. Yeah. It might have been. And and uh, I wasn't counting on that. Um, <laughs> you and didn't even bring water with me. I didn't bring water. I thought I was just going to pick it up. And and so these are the these are the things that happen in these kind of emergencies, and you realize how vulnerable you are so quickly. And so I I had to pee, and I'm in this line, and I'm like, there, there's no way I can. I'm not getting out of the line, right? Like, yeah. it's it's critical. And you actually, I you, you had I had brought some uh, a bag of nuts, yeah, like in a plastic bag, and a bag of figs, which was in like a resealable Ziploc. Mm-hmm. And you had said, "Hey, well, maybe just empty out the fig bag and pee in there, because otherwise, all I had was my thermos, and it's and not big. It's enough. not big enough, but also, it's like you don't want to pee in your thermos. No! Like, you know, <laughs> you're just never going to enjoy your thermos again. It's ruined after that. I don't. No amount. No. No amount of cleaning is going to ever solve that psychological yeah, that. problem. Yeah, no. <laughs> my weenie was in that thing. I can't drink in it. Yeah. So, but." Uh, uh, it, realistically, it was going to be too small. And then so you it was really funny on my, on my end, I was like on the phone with you and you were like, I need to pee. I said, Did you bring a bottle? No, I only have my thermos. And then I just scanned the car because I remember what was in there. And I thought, fig bag. Elster, just empty the figs and then pee in the bag. And you were like, that might, that might actually work. And then we hang up. <laughs> and then 30 seconds later, I get a text that said, that was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, okay, I think that worked. <laughs> and then I feel like I have to say it because it's it's like almost funnier from my side. You finally get back, which means you you had an, you had propane, which was like not a given at this point because of all the li- the people in line before you. I was worried they're gonna run out. Yeah. I think they did at one point and had to refill. Uh, I, I have no idea yeah. what happened, but it took forever. And like he came back, and I saw him going back and forth between the truck. And the camper, and I thought, well, that's weird. There's only one thing he needs to bring in, the propane. And why was he? Why is he going back? And then I opened the door. I was like, Alistair, are you okay? And from across the street with the snow everywhere, Alistair was like, the bag was not waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it had pretty much leaked almost all the contents. <laughs> and it was considerable amount. I still haven't been in the truck since. Yeah, into the back of the truck. <laughs> 
So that was not great after spending my whole day yeah. getting two tanks of propane. It was a little rough. <laughs> so that's uh, the Dumas' on the road. On the flip side, on the good side, on our way down, back after retreat, we made a pit stop in Austin. And we ate at the Salt Lake, which is a restaurant that's been highly recommended to us. And boy, oh boy, have I never had barbecue before that. Yeah. That was insane, man. Phenomenal. Brisket, barbecue. Oh, God. I was just like, is this real life? Can we do this every day? We've had the barbecue sauce left over for the last couple of days, and I'm not ashamed to say I've had way too much already today. <laughs> I just had barbecue sauce. Too spicy, but it it, it works. It's, to, it's too good. It's yeah. too good. Real Real good barbecue. Like Texas. Texas yeah, does barbecue, his barbecue, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean. All right, so. so that was about 15 minutes of us telling you about our lives. Maybe we get into the conversation we want to have. So we just got back from a week-long retreat. And we thought it would be interesting to kind of explore this idea. Or it's not even an idea, it's an experience. And I think it's one that a lot of us have had. Yeah. Probably a lot of people that listen to this podcast and it's also hard to put words around. And I, I'm kind of in the middle of it. And it's happened to me. Basically, it's it's when you have a very powerful, perhaps profound spiritual experience or insight or whatever. And it's that feeling when you come back, kind of returning to the world. And it's kind of ironic because you can have this massive experience of connection in some mm-hmm. way, whether it's to yourself or to God or to the world around you, right? Some some form of of like powerful connection. And then you come back and you feel really lonely. Mm. Uh, and I'm kind of in it right now. Um where there feels I I feel like kind of a lot of distance. And I think this is something that happens, you know, bringing it into the idea of far out. Um it's it's something, you know, and I've had this experience when I've spent a month in the Himalayas, both times, actually, like, you know, you're in this beautiful place and mm-hmm. you're having these experiences that when you come back, you realize you just can't tell other people. There's no way to tell them. Yeah. Because it just doesn't fit into words. Yeah. And even if it did, a lot of times the people you would like to share it with do not have the maybe either the the concepts or not not it's just that you don't have a shared vocabulary or a shared experience in which you feel you could s- communicate it satisfactorily mm-hmm. so so what happens is if you try it tends to sound silly or stupid or or it just doesn't land you know and it actually can make the it can kind of take away from the experience yeah and there's always this, there's, there can also be a sense of like, you try to explain it and then you realize it doesn't work. And that's like heart wrenching. I feel yeah, like I've it's had so that personal. experience in the past where it's just, I'm trying to connect, but I can't. Oh, and then so heavy. And that realization that you can't bridge that gap can be really uh, jarring yeah. and, and kind of really depressing and difficult. And so in that way, you can kind of feel alone with the experience. And I think, you know, there's something about this where it's like, it's almost as if we find a part of ourselves, right? And and then we come back and we realize that that was between us and God. Mm. And I've heard this actually talked about in psychology too, particularly the depth psychologists, 
they kind of say, you know, there are things that happen in the client therapist relationship where if you touch something unique with a client, it, it is between you and them. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can, you can, and it's not appropriate to share it outside of, of that, that inner interaction between yeah. you and them, because it's unique to that. And you've seen an aspect, something you totally unique to them. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not describing exactly well, but, the, but it, it's been kind of discussed there too, or when you, when you re, when you touch these parts, they're not shareable. They're, they're just between the two of you. And I think it can also be really challenging for people. It's like, there's a sense of, you know, there's the group, there's the family, the group of friends or whatever. You leave them to go on a journey. You have these profound experiences and these profound shifts. And then you come back. And I think it's it's like it's in the coming back that you realize what's changed oftentimes because it, it's, like, it's like you might realize that there were some insights or some profound moment while you were on your journey. But then you come back and then you realize how much that changed you. It's accentuated by like the quote unquote norm that yeah. you come back to. Right. Yeah. And then there's almost like you have more distance from that norm. Right. Uh, and so that, that gap feels, I, I'm hoping. And I think in the past it's been true, like temporarily larger. Yeah. It, it seems to be kind of a stage. I think there's another aspect of it, which is, and this is, this feels very true for me now with, with this current experience is that a lot of times you don't know what's changed. Mm-hmm. Like, all you have is this kind of uncomfortable, kind of unnerving feeling that things have shifted. But, yeah. but like right now, I couldn't exactly point to what. It's very ambiguous, mm-hmm. but it's just obvious that something has changed. And I don't know what. And so then you might have interactions with people you love or, or just in the world. And it's, it's like really disorienting because mm-hmm. something's cha- changed, but you don't exactly know what it is and you you can't explain it or describe it you just can feel kind of off yeah yeah and and i think that that brings to what you were saying it's like there's a loneliness and it's really challenging to be faced with that loneliness because when you come back from these experiences whether it be like you know for in our case maybe ayahuasca experiences or you know going through a a, a journey and seeing like as you said in the himalayas that happened to you it, it's when you come back, you are more fragile. Like there is a there is a time of integration for you to kind of put the pieces back together in a way that fits with the new reality that you have and the change that you've experienced. But it's like if you try to do it right away, it might be very confusing because you're not sure exactly how to interact with people. And so like having that space for integration and knowing who can understand that like for instance there are a set of people i won't talk to for like a week after i come back from retreat just because i know it's going to be too much and i'm not going to be able to do a good job but with some with other people i think they they've seen that happen for me over and over again and so they now are able to kind of like hold spaciousness for okay she's kind of floating around for the moment she's kind of putting the pieces back together it's going to come back in some ways, but it's also like super tricky because it's going to come back, but not exactly in the way that it was before you left. And so 
then it's there. So there's kind of the, there's phases to this process. There's a right after the moment where you're all jumbled up and trying to integrate and, and that can take months. But I, in, I feel like in my experience, the acute part is probably. There's a very acute. sensitive part, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and, and, and if you think about it, that makes sense because, okay, if we're going to be changed, I think we talked a bit about this on the episode where we said, you don't change, you're, you're changed. changed. Yeah. And the, the idea there was a, when we change, we have to open ourselves up to something that acts on us, mm-hmm. right? Like that change is a dialogue with something unknown. Yeah. And it is the unknown that, that by letting that in to some degree that changes us. And that suggests an openness, right? And yeah. so in the hymn, and that was, that's been true for me. I can think of a lot of periods like meditation retreat or, or the Himalayas, our Yosemite retreat. This is why we make sure we have time after before mm-hmm. we let people go also is because spending a long uh, uninterrupted period in the wilderness some for for many of the people that come on our retreats it's the longest period of time in the wilderness they've ever spent mm-hmm. not un, uninterrupted like you open up yeah. to that and you open up to the people that are involved in that journey yeah and so you come back still kind of open and there's some danger in that, right? Like because the the world doesn't care that that you've been doing this, and uh, and may not understand it, and and may even in some instances be violent toward it, mm-hmm. right? And and so you're more sensitive to that stuff. So it, it's good to be careful. Yeah, and I think it, it falls on us, right? It's like it's great that we have people around us that are aware of this and that can take it into account. But at the end of the day, it falls on us to protect us for as long as we need to be protected. And, and one, uh, another example that comes to mind is like around birth, like birth is the ultimate cracking you open that you can ever imagine. At least I'm, I think so. I, I believe so. And this is why like, Mother, young mothers in their early postpartum time are super receptive and open. And it actually, a lot of, I think a lot of us don't expect that. And it actually falls on us to protect ourselves and to say, hey, for a week, I don't want anyone in my house. I don't want anyone to come and visit and bring their energy. And like being aware of energetical hygiene, I think in those moments can be really important. Yeah, I think it's sometimes an uh, easy place to make an oversight because like, oh yeah, but I've been away for that amount of time, whatever, a week, 10 days, a month. And so now I should be, I need to get back into the world, right? Like there's there's kind of a, uh, urgency to yeah. it and hey, I need to get back to work or whatever it is but that period is really critical because in some ways it's really where the work happens right like you do whatever it is that you have this experience yeah. and for sure um it can be work to get to that right but it's a new phase of the work mm-hmm. and it's as critical like um in ayahuasca circles it's commonly referred to as integration yeah right like integrating your experiences um, and kind of, and and I think there's a, you know, and I've seen this happen. There's kind of a choice that can happen after you have a profound experience, regardless of, of how it shows up, where you, where you're opened up and you're more sensitive and, you know, you're, you're kind of in a process of molting, mm-hmm. let's say, I think mm-hmm. that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Is that 
you can come back to the world, which is which assumes you've never been gone, yeah. right? And it's going to, a lot of times, is going to relate to you the way it related to you before because it wasn't there for this. Yeah. And so, and so that's really challenging because then, you know, things are kind of assuming you're the way you were and, and you can feel that you something's changed, but you don't exactly know what it is. And then you have this outside stimulus mm -hmm. going on. And I think there's kind of like two basic choices outside of this or at this junction, mm -hmm. which is one, you can kind of write off the experience you had, either forget it or or just kind of write it off as like, well, that was that was nice or that was a beautiful dream. It's like, like it, it belongs in this dreamscape, but not in the real world. Yeah, right? you can't yeah, bring it back. Exactly, it, yeah. it's going to belong there. And I've seen people do that. I've done it myself. As, yeah. And it's and slowly it fades, right? And and the gift fades with it. Yeah. Right. Like it, oh, sooner you you hardly remember it, and you hardly remember how maybe elated you felt or, or the waves of revelation or, mm -hmm. or somatic experience, whatever. And then, and then basically the gift dies that, and I've seen that happen and, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. That would be a lack of integration, right? That's a lack of doing the work That's after like these experiences. Right. It's like just creating this little box in which you decide, okay, that experience only belonged in that time space and it's not applicable to now. And, and no attention or energy, like mm -hmm. no additional attention or energy is given to it. So it withers and dies. Yeah. It's like a plant that's not watered. And I think, you know, a lot of us would probably agree that well, part of the reason why these states or these experiences may be desired, because they're really like, they can be really shifting and shattering, right? Mm -hmm. They can be really painful yeah. and really difficult, even if they're great. Yeah. Um, they can be really hard. But part of the reason maybe we want them is because we are going to change or it is going to stimulate some sort of change or mm -hmm. be the seed for something, right? But if it is going to be the seed, then you have to continue to water it. And so that leads to kind of the other choice. And of course, these are like oversimplified but I, I think it kind of boils down to you do one or the other mm -hmm. which is to do the work of trying to figure out how to integrate it because it's almost as if we get a vision of ourselves or like maybe we remember a part of ourselves or we see a part of who we could be yeah. right or we connect with a part we had forgot forgotten whatever but it's it's like I tend to think about it like that, as if, as if we've discovered a piece of ourselves that we had lost or whatever. And then the question is, okay, well, how do I, how do I bring this back in my life? Like, how do I bring it into my life? Because yeah. before your life wasn't set up around that because yeah. you didn't know about it, right? And now, and now it gets messy because inevitably that's going to change things. And it's going to change things for other people as well. And that, that brings me to sort of an archetype or an image that I, I just, I really resonate with is, you know, just picture a tribe. It's, it's a tribe in a village and they've got the crops. Everything's working just fine. It's the perfect place to be. And there is no reason for anyone to ever leave. And then one day someone in the tribe realizes like, actually, there's something kind of wrong here or something's not totally working and I can't put my finger on it, but I just know it's going to lead to problems in the future. He tries to talk to the tribe and no one wants to hear it, hear that because they are all very happy and no one wants to shake the status quo. And then that person maybe ends up 
you know, kind of going out into the forest to seek vision or to seek guidance from something outside of the village and the, the like garden, the walled garden. And when that person comes back to the tribe, there's an initial resistance to what the person's bringing back because the tribe, like, status quo, like we like our inertia, we like how things are going and we don't want to change it. And the thing is, you are now you you now become identified with the unknown to the tribe. Yes, so, yes. And, and what's and what's complicated is that it, we're all interconnected, especially with the with our close friends and families, to the point that if we go out and change, it will have severe repercussion on the people around us, and that's. It asks them to change. Yes, and that and that is uh, pretty difficult. Like that, that is where like recognizing the interconnection and and how closely we are all tied is kind of uh, you know I don't know I, we've all we've all had that experience with someone around us change and we don't want it to mean we have to change. And I think this is also at the heart of the notion of when you do your work, you're doing work for everybody. Totally. There's something else around this that like I'm definitely experiencing right now is that coming back, like this isn't. The, the integration aspect is ongoing, right? It mm -hmm. might last a week, it might last a month, it might last a year, it might last 10 years or a lifetime. I definitely have had experiences that I'm still integrating yeah. from, from very long ago. Um, but maybe particularly in the immediate aftermath of these experiences, there's kind of a confusion that follows, mm -hmm. right? Like, it, it means that if things are shifting, it means that maybe I don't know exactly what's most important Yeah. anymore um like my hierarchy of values is is kind of moving around and and you know where before i could easily make a decision because it's like oh well i i know the the kind of order of things now it's like well i don't and uh, i'm not really sure mm -hmm. and and so i think that's another difficult thing about this kind of post experience is that a lot of times we can feel really confused but then we come back to a world that expects us to to act yeah And so it can be a little scary to try to navigate the the regular world or, you know, in, in that kind of new state of internal confusion as we're working things out. Yeah. The way I tend to, like, when I can, and I don't, and it's not always an option, but the way that I tend to organize myself is I'm very protective of my time immediately after because I know those are not days where I can do anything. And there's always a sense of, like, Oh, I'm feeling so good. Like I'm, I've got that glow going on for me. I can do stuff, but it's not in the energy of doing that the problem lies. The problem lies in I don't even know what to do because I'm so like still figuring out, you know, putting the pieces back together a little bit. And it's like, you know, you go you go into an ayahuasca experience and you're literally blowing apart all the things and it's all laid out on the floor for a bit and you kind of have to pick it up again and decide, am I going to keep this thing or I'm going to leave it on the floor? Like what? So it's like, that's actually a really slow process that happens in the background. And I find that I have to give myself as much time as I can, especially for the first two to three days. Like I don't really go back I go back to family maybe you know a day or two and then work is like three to four days if I can, if I can I'll give myself that buffer and, and the risk of not giving yourself that buffer is that you can get back into the busyness and the day-to-day -day of life and 
and just not do that, like picking up the pieces part um, or kind of mulling over the experiences and and really reworking them. Right. And because these experiences are novel, they are not ready fit into like categorical boxes. Right. Like they they kind of transcend boundaries, which is why they mix everything up. Yeah. And so the risk is if you if you go right back into things you don't put it back together and things kind of stay mixed up or again, like it goes back to the default, which is so strong. And as soon as you get back into the day to day, it will be reinforced by, by the external too. Yeah. I think something else that's come up a lot for me, uh, maybe earlier on our, when we were earlier on the journey with ayahuasca is feeling like, People try to connect with me afterwards, but they don't know how to. And then I, on on the other end, don't know either because that's all I want to talk about or that's really, like, that's what's really present for me at that time. And just finding, like, I think that this connection can be super heartbreaking sometimes because it feels like, oh, my God, it's always going to be this way. Or, you know, like, oh, I'm never going to be able to bridge. You mentioned the gap earlier and, like, bridging that gap. And I think... Yeah, it's it's like it's a challenge that I continue to have to work with of how do I build vocabulary, but also just a stance, just a general posture in my being and in like my energy that allows me to share even when I when there's no shared experiences. Like, how do I Like, I think that's obviously my one of my biggest values is connection. And so that's really important to me to figure out that fast. And and something I was going to point out, too, about this challenge is it's a painful challenge because we don't go to these places to to get more disconnected. Right. Like the the intention a lot of times with any of these kind of journeys, basically, uh, that you go on is to find more connection. Right. More connection to yourself, more connection to the divine or to the world or or in your relationships, right? So when you come out of it immediately and it feels like, you know, it feels kind of like the the, the ground has cracked open even further mm. and it can it can be a little bit alarming. I sometimes I wonder if this is almost like a a rookie's challenge, you know, like I I sort of if I were to predict, I would say like as I don't know, as I were to continue doing this kind of stuff I may find that that it's not so hard. Yeah. It's just that still a lot of these insights can be so new that it does give a sense of other coming out of it. Yeah. And later on, I might reconcile that a bit where, where actually it expands. It expands what I consider me or, or whatever, like where it is actually uh, maybe a little bit easier to, to relate afterward. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to happen too. And, and sometimes I even get glimpses into it. And, and it's pretty fantastic, honestly, the, the, and it really, I really feel like it resides in my ability to integrate the insights and, and almost live out of that place rather than it's like at the end of the day, if I've changed, it's my job to live as the new person that I am. I can't just go around explaining the new person that I am because that doesn't do anything. I just ha- I just kind of have to show up as the person that I am today and continue to do that. It's like, how do I continue to embody these changes and these 
insights as they come. And, and that's how you connect more because then you don't have to explain, you know, you don't yeah, have to. Yeah. That, that's the, actually the conclusion I'm coming to too. It's like, okay, well I just need to live the change. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that'll be enough. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know. I just want to say that because I can perceive that this might come off. Maybe we sound like spiritual snobs. Like, oh, I have this like esoteric knowledge, and well, you just wouldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's not the case at all. It's the case. The fact is that this knowledge, self knowledge, primarily a lot of times, or, or knowledge, it's knowledge in the divine. Even it's like. And to some degree, those aren't different, but, uh, man, you just dropped some, uh, as, <laughs> wow. I'm just going to leave it here. Just glowing. Okay. Thanks. You do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that they're deeply personal and it's like kind of like that relationship with the client and the therapist, right? They just cannot be, they're sacred Yeah. and they can't be, you take them out of that container and it's it's almost like blasphemy to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like because you you can't touch it there; it's no longer there. And and I think that's what we're trying to describe here. It's not. It's it's that these are there. There is a subjective element to this stuff that just makes it deeply personal, and in that way, it makes it incredibly difficult to figure out how it can be shared, especially mm-hmm. when I can't even put words or sometimes even concepts around it. It's so. Like and it's so fragile at yeah. times, and sometimes it, and sometimes fragile things like that, fragile seeds or changes or the beginning of a shift are better left unsaid. Totally, yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's the other side of this. Like, okay, yeah, I might have a profound insight, like love is everything, right? Like experientially understanding love is everything. Cool. I'm gonna go out and say that to random people like hey i found out love is everything yeah, uh, yeah cool man that's yeah. a postcard learned it last night dropped two hits of acid love is everything yeah exactly <laughs> it's like great and and so in some ways those are like your more blatant like obvious insights okay but even with that insight it's like okay love is everything and then the question becomes after the profound experience is like how do I live from that more? Yes. Or where am I not living yeah. from that? Yeah. Right. And so then, then there's the tension of, okay, well, I had this, this insight, but I'm not living it or, mm. or, but I could live it more or, you know, and so that's where like the nitty gritty work starts happening. Yes. It's like the very specific situations and details where you're out of alignment with that previous alignment. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say though, is like, for me, a lot of that, a lot of that work we're talking about happens without me being aware. It's not yeah. like I had the insight, love is everything, and then all my actions are how do I live more from a place of love is everything. What happens more often than not is that I'll come back from a journey like this, from these retreats, from whatever. I'll come back, and then three days later, I'll have an interaction, and my reaction and my feelings as the conversation is unfolding are very different than they used to be. And that can be so disorienting. And it's like, and there's no words to that. There are no words. But the people closest to you will pick up on it. And they will be like, well, what the fuck's happening to Julie Roxanne? Like, that's just weird, you know? And, And there is, I think there is also an aspect of 
knowing who you talk to again like i'm not like, there are people i know i'm not going to be able to lay it out the same way as i do with others like that's just that's just how it is and that's fine i th i think you've hit on an aspect of this that is worth coming back to for a moment because there's a reason it's journey is such a good word mm. because a journey implies like an actual physical adventure to some degree but it's experienced mm -hmm. right and i think we come back And the question is, okay, well, how was it? And you say, well, oh, it was powerful. And it's like, well, what do you mean powerful? It's like, well, I can't tell you because I experienced it. Yeah. Like, it wasn't something I read. Yeah. It wasn't formulated that way. And it was coming on different layers, mm -hmm. right? Like, it was experienced. And a journey, the way a journey changes you is through the lived journey, yeah. right? Which is why I, it's one of the reasons why I'm putting a lot of, I'm betting a lot of chips on on our retreat company. It's mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of times uh, these kind of changes and transformations can be encouraged and fostered through actual journeys. Yeah, that, that's a natural. That's a kind of a natural way to have to have that dialogue. Yeah, but I think there always has to be. Well, I don't know if there always has to be, but I think most of the time there needs to be an experience of it. It needs to happen in the body. It needs to happen that way as well. And and that's why you get back from going to China, you know. Exact example <laughs> I was going to use. It's like, how do you explain do you to explain someone that? how was China? You're like, like, well, the well, food was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just look at Google Images. And, you know, it's, the, it's not the same because you walk down the streets and you see, and it's like people is, are spitting on the floor and that's weird and the smells are different. Your culture the, is hitting their culture and, yeah. all, and the, their mindset's hitting their mindset. Like their bodies look different than yours. Their customs are different. The smells are different. The surroundings, the environment, the animals, what's being eaten, everything is different. It's organized in different ways. Yeah. And it, it's really hard, if impossible, to to and then to not only take all that all that that is China, but then the fact that you are approaching it from maybe California, San Jose, yeah. right? Or like from whatever your personal background is. That's a very, very specific intersection of cultures and mindsets and beliefs. Yeah. And so it's not just whatever China is, it's how you're experiencing it through your lens and your frame. And then, then that's where it starts to get pretty complicated. And I think there's, there's also something to say where earlier on, when you have these experiences earlier on, they are so profound and so changing that you want to be able to put them into words. And I think there also has to be a point where you realize You can't. You just can't. And there is a really big grief behind that real realization. And for me, it's just like, no, to some degree, I can't explain to someone what it feels like to do a week-long ayahuasca retreat with four ceremonies. I just cannot explain it to you. And no words will ever explain it to you. And that is just, that is so sad sometimes because I know, I know like, For instance, with my brother, I'd love to be able to explain it to him. But we have some shared vocabulary, some shared experiences that I can tap into to guide him to understand when he wants to understand. But at the end of the day, it's like, dude, come with me next time because I can't tell you. And, and even if you do come with me next time, I can't tell you how that previous experience that was totally mine went. You know, it's so 
Personal and ineffable. Ineffable is a good word. And it, and what you're saying there reminds me of a particular moment I had in Poland, actually. I was in Václav. I can't remember how you say it now. It's been, a, I think it's like Václav or something like that. Okay. Anyway, uh, if you were American and you saw the city, you'd say Rocklaw. Uh, but it's 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 definitely not rock. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, insider knowledge. If you go to <laughs> this place that I can't pronounce. Uh, anyway, I was there. It was this beautiful kind of small Polish town, and it had a beautiful Polish square. Beautiful buildings where they're like super colorful, and they're like all mashed together mm-hmm. in this square. And there's a beautiful church with a bell tower and everything in the middle. And there's all sorts of life going on in this square, like kids, family, all these things. And I was sitting on a bench by myself there. And it was pretty early on in my travels alone. And I was just kind of wandering through Europe heading east. And I, I was spending a lot of time alone at that point. And I was sitting on the bench and the sun was setting. And the there were kids playing and there's a man blowing bubbles and the kids were all trying to pop the bubbles and there's just life going on all over the square. And there was that golden rays of like the last light that were coming down and kind of hitting the trees and stuff. And it was just sublime. And it made me so sad that I started crying because happy and sad because happy because it was such a beautiful moment. And there was a, t- but there was such a strong tinge of loneliness to it because I knew instantly I could never tell anybody about it. That like only I was, there was no way to share that experience, and that made me feel so sad. Hmm. I think that's part of what I was saying earlier. It's like there's a point where there are things that, despite your best if effort to try to convey, you can't. And I think that always boils down for me to this really deep really sad and also really beautiful realization that we can't actually connect to anyone. Like, on some level, it's like, on a, on some level, we're all interconnected and it's magical to be human together and to touch a tree and to, you know, like, all these things. But on another level... Every man is an island. Yeah, we're... we're and woman. Yeah, I, I could never imagine what your experience looks like. Like right now, this minute, I have no idea what goes on inside of your body, what it feels like, how you see the world around us, how you see the camper, what things stand out to you, what words, like how you hear the sounds of my voice. I have no idea. And I will never have any idea. And like, it's, I don't know, there's something pretty hauntingly beautiful about it also, you know? It's just like, oh, well, that's just how it is. I, mean, I keep coming back to, yeah, we all have an individual experience, right? And, yeah. And, and uh, we seem to be able to triangulate things pretty well, like with language and, and all the tools we have available to, to kind of verify some things and, and have a collective experience as well. Yeah. Um, but I keep coming back to, like, the only answer that seems appropriate is, all right, well, you, you have to... You have to be your own answer, yeah. right? And and I think this gets back to far out. It's like it it gets back. It's about becoming yourself and being that fully, and that is the way you can communicate the experiences you've had with others. Yeah, is it's, it's it the sum of experiences that you've had in your life can be shown in the way that you sit down or in the way that you move an arm or in the way that you move through a house. You know, like, we we carry these experiences 
in if we integrate i i i believe if we integrate these experiences well enough they show subconsciously they show in the way that we act in the world and another thing that i keep thinking about is it is not the tribe's responsibility to find a way to bridge the gap between you know the the person that went off into the forest and them like to some degree If I want to com to be able to communicate what goes on, I have to be the one to find the way to bridge the gap. Like, I think mm, I I wouldn't totally agree. I think I think that in a healthy society, both sides are trying to bridge the gap because the society would recognize that. I mean, this is the okay. hero motif, right? Like, we need heroes. We need people to go out into the unknown and come back and help us transform our society in the ways it's not functioning properly or in the ways yeah, it could yeah. be better. And I think there I think that's a I think there's two sides to that. Um and that, that means, you know, it's not the responsibility of society to like to adjust to the new individual. That this is the integration. That's not what I'm saying. It's it, I'm not saying it's not the responsibility to adjust. I think I, it's helpful what you're saying because it's helping me understand what I mean. I think what I mean is if and I'm going to take a very simple experience but If I talk to a friend and I want to be able to tell them what I do and what my life looks like right now, because I want to be, I want to connect with that friend in the time frame that we have when we're talking to each other on a Saturday morning or whatever. If I want to be able to tell them, I have to make the effort. I have to find the right words and I have to show myself in a certain way that doesn't mean they don't they don't have any work to do there is still the open-mindedness and the receptiveness on the other hand but it's like I have to I don't know I I don't know there's a strong sense of responsibility for my desire to connect it's like I can only do my part but and there's another side to it but it's I don't know there I think where that comes from is there can be a tendency to come back and just expect everyone to be marveling at your adventures and want to hear all about it. Yeah, and and there's well, but I think if if I'm going to go with kind of the way you're going on this, I think the work is in learning how to connect in the present moment because that's the place we can yes. always connect. Yes. And maybe it has nothing to do with your special experience. In fact, everyone knows what it's like when someone comes back from like an exotic country and, and they do a uh, slideshow yeah, with all the they tell pictures, you about the elephants like, that oh, they danced yeah. with and then the baboons <laughs> that they ate they had tea with like after a while you're just like fuck off man <laughs> fuck off get out of here so oh, <laughs> i don't think it's about that at all in some degree that's the i guess the question i have is like to what degree do i even tell people about this yeah. and i think really the answer is okay well if this is teaching me anything It's teaching me how to be here in this moment. Yeah. And that's the bridge to yeah. connect with anybody. Totally. And that's that's where to aim for the connection. I agree. Well, thank you for listening, beautiful listener. Thank you. It's been nice to have you today. Yeah, it's on been. this more chill, reflective episode. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. If you want to support the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can do so. There are. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them, Alistair. All right. Number one, uh, we have a Patreon account. Uh, so you can support us over at patreon.com slash thefaroutcouple. Mm -hmm. That is the best way to keep this podcast running. That is. Uh, number two is you can share this episode with a friend. 
uh, do that. That is how we grow. That is really how we grow. Yeah. Is uh, by word of mouth. So it makes a big difference. And we like the idea that we may be stimulating conversations with you and your friends. Um, so that's wonderful. And number three is you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's always really, really helpful. And it's free and it helps a lot. Yep. I think uh, that, that's all I got. That's all you got. Well, uh, we'll see you next week. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.